Blog Talk Radio. Against these people who the make of law, against black people. So 
we will give a moment of silence for the two of them who we dedicate this year program for this evening and for one we founder of the Gullah Geechee Fishing Association, Brother Howard Simmons, who gone home just the other day and who home going coming up this year Thursday upon St. Island too. Yeah, man. So we're so glad for VVAC, yeah. This year, day. Glad for VVAC. One more again for in the air. So the hunter chillin', we gonna have one special again in the this year, yeah, yeah. We going on into a series for the first time, pun gonna get you rhythm radio. Sides when we to do that month worth of thing, you know, Black History Month we always to do, Black Music Month we always to do. So hunter chillin' might look for them as series too, but truly this is a series for gonna get you land and legacy. This evening, we quite crack we teeth, but we property. We property. In Golagichi, that mean our property, that could mean that I personally, that property and things like that. So, I mean for me and this your week. So, Hunter Chillin would have start for use your mind while Hunter the Yeti women to crack with teeth pout. So, for all the Hunter Chillin with Yeti, this your program, round the world and things like that. We got to make sure Hunter can understand. Everything when we the crack with people, because this year the plenty thing we're going to need for know when we the tough of property and thing right here in the Gullah Geechee Nation. Now, this time of year, people come back to work. They come back to their senses in some ways in, in letting down from all the sugar rush and highs of celebrations during the Holy Day season, and they start to regroup. Many people start to resolve themselves to doing certain things. Well, one of the things that is not something to easily resolve yourself to is if you have not yet amassed all of the funds for the taxes that are due in nine days. So here it is on January the 15th. Yes, that is Dr. Martin Luther King's birthday, but that is also tax day throughout the Gullah Geechee Nation, land tax day. Then after that, January 15th, people start thinking about April the 15th, especially with their business owners and other things that don't always get refunds but have to amass the paperwork then to deal with that. So we have people at a precarious time. There are those who have been the custodians over the family lands that have to call people, remind them, email, text, to try to get the funds together, especially when we've had exorbitant increases in taxes like we saw along this coastline last year with reassessments in Beaufort County, reassessments down in Georgia and various other parts of the Gullah Geechee Nation. Now, those assessments have not yet been revisited. Although appeals were submitted, I have yet to receive any response from these appeal letters and the time is now ticking down. So here it is that we have had public outcries and various things over the years to constantly battle the same issue, but it's like a slow leak. So it continues to go and go and go, and after a while, your main pipe breaks. So what has happened in terms of Gullah Geechee land ownership over the years can be thought of in a similar manner because people have had this slow drip into the rate of taxation such that it starts to get bigger and bigger and bigger in increments until it blows and people can no longer see their way clear of how to navigate 
how to pay what used to be $100 in taxes, now thousands of dollars in taxes for the same property that they may not have added on to, renovated, or done anything modern to, and they still have this to deal with. Well, if you are a person who does not have a steady influx or some additional funding streams, then you cannot amass this. And if you're a business owner, you know that when the global crisis hits, it hits our communities, the communities of people of color, usually first and the worst. And so, therefore, one might say, well, I mean, y'all should have just had that kind of money. Not necessarily so if your businesses have not been being supported to the degree that other people's businesses generally are in the first place, and then you take a major hit over the course of a 12-month period where you do not bring in your usual cash flow and, in fact, you have a depleted cash flow because you have to maintain or purchase new equipment or you have other things that cost you more than they used to to continue to operate your business. So all of this goes into the calculations of how calculated the process is when we talk about property and property ownership. And so when we say we property, as I mentioned at the height of the show, the beginning of the show, we can be the property or we can be saying our property in the Gullah language or our dialect of the Gullah language, Geechee. So at the point where we are today, 150 years ago, the U.S. Civil War was still underway. We were only one year now out since the reading of the Emancipation Proclamation had taken place. So within the Gullah Geechee Nation, the Sea Islands from Jacksonville, North Carolina to Jacksonville, Florida, and 30 to 35 miles inland onto the mainland, there's now the Gullah Geechee Nation and the rest of the states of North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, and Florida were part of various documents that were issued throughout the Civil War, including the Emancipation Proclamation. So the Emancipation Proclamation applied to the, quote, Negro, end quote, that was in bondage, that was a bond servant, that was enslaved, that was considered chattel during this period of time. But the war was still going on. And there were other people of African descent in the colonies, in what is now the United States of America, that were not freed by that document. And herein were still considered chattel. More often than not, if you read my writings, you hear me on this broadcast, you've heard me mention this word chattel many, many times. Chattel is a personal possession, all right? It is, in law, it's an item of property other than real estate. So now because we are talking about taxes on land, land is real estate. A stick-built, as we say, house, a wooden-framed home, a block house, a brick house, these things are also considered real estate because it's built and attached to a foundation literally on the property. They can't be moved, but they do not expect people normally to move those. A mobile home, or as we call them, trailers, are not. So they're like jewelry. They're like your pots, your pans. They're like your car. These things are called real property. You can pick them up, move them, you can give them to somebody else. They can carry them somewhere else. 
Well, this is the same way in which human beings, our ancestors, Ibo, Mandinka, Malinke, Yureva, Gola, Gizi, Mendi, Temni, Fiki, Bibio, and the various other ethnic groups that got enslaved, were put into bondage, were thought of here in the Sea Islands during this period of time prior to the reading of the Emancipation Proclamation for this area, for this region that was issued by U.S. President Abraham Lincoln. Now, interestingly enough, if we're going to deal with the definition of chattel property and we're going to deal with the series called Gullah Geechee Land and Legacy, I want everybody to be very, very clear on what property is. I've been engaged in property rights and property rights issues, land rights, land rights issues, human rights and human rights issues now for over 33 years at this point. And so it is something that I eat, drink, and breathe on a regular basis and find more and more intrigue about and continue to educate myself on this topic because as laws shift, people shift, definitions shift, and boundary lines of what we call property shift. So when we start talking about fighting these things, you must know law. And I just so happened to have a book in the Gullah Geechee Al-Kebulan archive, which is the only archive in the world totally dedicated to Gullah Geechee history, heritage, and culture, which is a book that I obtained from the library here in Beaufort County for free. These are one of the books that was just being given away. And, of course, when I saw law, I started looking at it. When I saw property, I started looking at it. Well, property law is a series of rules defining a person's relationship to a thing that others must respect. Is in the very first chapter called The Law of Property on this book entitled Property. Property law is a series of rules defining a person's relationship to a thing that others must respect. The former is called an owner. The primary right of an owner is the right to exclude others from using or profiting from a thing. If the thing is movable, the thing becomes personal property. Land and the improvements on it become real property. The study of property generally includes both personal and real property. Defining property as a three-way relationship, owner to thing, others to thing, others to owner, requires that the legal rules pertaining to it have widespread support. Support in this sense is the result of an appeal to a terms of a legal rule, its underlying policies and historical precedent, the judicial procedures in which the rule was formed, and the philosophy of law or jurisprudence underlying all of these. Now, this book goes on to let you know property law is the creation of society, and they feel it is useful to make society function. It is not a product of natural law. Although most would also say that property supports enhances a person's identity and that a person's acquisitiveness is as close to a natural instinct as one can come. All right? Now, when we start talking about property law is a creation of society, this is why this series wants to give you a historical context 
to the society in which we're living now that is the Gullah Geechee Nation, as well as to the relationship of the society that our ancestors who left Gullah Geechee, the land that most of us live on, whether we've divided it now and have our own deeds or if it is still in property in common called heirs' property. And you can always go back in the archives of this broadcast to listen to other shows on land, land rights, and specifically heirs' property to understand more of that dynamic. So now let's go into the context of the time in relationship to ownership, master to property, owner to property, is what we're dealing with when we talk about chattel enslavement. So at the point of the Emancipation Proclamation reading, Gullah Geechee's went from being called chattel and well, what actually from being called contraband. They went from chattel to being called contraband during the war, and then after the reading of the Emancipation Proclamation to being called freedmen, whether you're a man, a woman, a child, freedmen was what you referred to. But now, if we back up to 1860 and 1861, prior to the beginning of the U.S. Civil War, our ancestors were called chattel. So they were something that could be movable, that could be moved and taken to another location. So hence, they were considered the personal property of the enslavers. All right? So that is why enslavers could put human beings in their wills. They could give them away as Christmas presents. They could give them away as wedding presents so that their sons, their daughters, who were opening up their own plantations in various areas, whether it was here in what is now the Gullah Geechee Nation or further into the Deep South or going to Kentucky or other places to Tennessee to open up plantations, they could now take this property with them that they called Negroes. That was often written of also, of course, as black gold, as you all have me mentioned many times before. Now, at the point that the U.S. Civil War began, in this area of the southeastern United States, there was abandonment of this entire area by Anglo people. So on a buck run and Venegwine North and thing like that, Guine West and thing like that. So they invade a tall tall. So now our ancestors were left here unto themselves. The Confederate soldiers were largely those who were southern plantation owners and those who had been part of the plantation system, such as overseers. These are those that donned the gray uniforms during the U.S. Civil War. Those that donned the blue uniforms during the U.S. Civil War were the Union side. They were fighting to keep unity amongst these colonies and thereby protect what the Anglo people had felt they were establishing. Well, as the war proceeded on, there were a number of edicts presented, a number of documents presented to try to win the sides and to pressure those places that had seceded from the Union into loss and back into the Union. And so during the U.S. Civil War, numerous enslavers and plantation owners who abandoned the South had also then abandoned their property, whether that was real property or personal property. President Abraham Lincoln 
signed the Confiscation Act of 1861 in order to permit the property of those that they felt were disloyal to the Union, those who had seceded, to be confiscated. This property then could be auctioned. That money could now coffers of the Union to uphold the Union as this battle continued on. So from 1861 to 1864, there was a series of laws that were put in place that all started to go toward what one might call the tipping point, toward what led up to even the Emancipation Proclamation. So anyone, as of August the 6th, 1861, who was an enslaved African, here within this area, who would then escape and fight on the Union side or who were freed, as they put it, a further obligation to their masters, okay? Um, these folks, all right, were freed. They were freed. If they found that these folks had been with the Confederate military by force, because, of course, no doubt, all right, they were freed. If they could get to Union territory, they were freed. As long as they left from the Confederate side, they would now be free as part of this Confiscation Act. Hence this word now contraband because they weren't being enslaved by anyone, so they weren't going to continue to call them slaves, although there was not yet the Emancipation Proclamation. Now, as they continued on with this battle, it did not end right away, it did not just stop in 1861 or anything like that. Um, they, there were many who saw this first confiscation act as a decree of emancipation because all you needed to do was make sure you weren't part of the, quote, rebel forces. And as long as you got to Union territory and you were a person of African descent, you could do pretty much as you please. All right. So now they started up another Confiscation Act almost a year later, July 17, 1862. There was a second Confiscation Act, and it said that the slaves, or as I would prefer to say the enslaved, the civilian and military Confederate officials shall be forever free. It specifically wrote that. So it now served as an emancipation proclamation for anybody who was a Confederate official, that any Africans under their bondage was now forever free. But it was enforceable only, again, in these areas such as Beaufort County, South Carolina, where the Union Army had taken hold. So, for instance, along the South Carolina coast, Buford County, South Carolina, was occupied by the Union. The Port Royal region was occupied by the Union. However, Charleston County, for instance, was occupied by the Confederacy, largely. So, until the Union took hold in certain places there, you wouldn't want to run in that direction. You would want to run in this direction. So 
you had other places in between and, and throughout and up and down and around the coast that you had certain areas that now became occupied by Union encampments. And if you could get from the Confederate encampment to the Union encampment, then this applied now to you, that you were forever free. All right? So now Abraham Lincoln again started, you know, being concerned about this. So he wrote out what became the Emancipation Proclamation, and as we all know, January 1st, 1863, as when it then became read into law that was supposed to actually be a gradual compensated emancipation, hence why it did not emancipate every person of African descent during the war. Now, on March 12, 1863, and on July the 2nd, interestingly enough, the same date of my installment, but in 1864, that is not when I was in school, the federal government passed additional things called the Captured and Abandoned Property Acts that define property subject to seizure as that owned by absent individuals who support the South. Now, all of these confiscation acts made way for the ownership of land by people of African descent. And there is estimated that there was $2 billion worth of human property at the time that the Emancipation Proclamation was issued between that period of time and the 13th Amendment's time, that there was $2 billion, with a B, dollars worth of human property, hence chattel property, our ancestors. So now, given all of that background, let's think about this. The Emancipation Proclamation has been issued now. We've already had some of our people who were able to purchase land at auctions in 1861 and 1862, a large bulk of Gullah Geechee's that live on their property today that they need to pay these taxes for as of the 15th on these, on these lands to still maintain this continuous cycle of family ownership. This land was purchased in 1862 in large. But 1861, 1862, most of us have deeds, and we can look back on them and see the exact. It's when you go from being listed right alongside other property to owning property, to having a piece of paper transferred to your name to own property. Now, here it is. All of this transfer of personal to real estate and real estate to personal and chattel and so on to freedmanship, All of this had to do with the same thing that was said in this about the creation of property law. This series of things in relationship to owner and so forth and the study of property and defining property requires that the legal rules pertaining to it have widespread support. So even unto this day, Laws change about land because of widespread support or nowadays because of lobbying and who has the loudest voice to lobby for certain things to happen in terms of land, what's built on it, what's not built on it. 
how taxes are done, whether there's tax caps or not, whether the land is appealed successfully or not. All of these things are what we are still fighting for within the Gullah Geechee Nation. And so this is critical and crucial to our continued existence because our culture is inextricably tied land. And this is why destructionaires and politicians have repeatedly tried to deter our people from being participants in land meetings, being participants in human rights meetings, being participants in the community forums that Gullah Geechee Nation's leaders hold, because they do not want you to come there and fully be aware of your rights and the fact that although someone may have set a particular law in place, that you can have another law that would override that and set a different precedent. So one such precedent that was firmly set during this month, January in 1865, as we kind of go forward in this historical timeline, and we move past these confiscation acts, and we move past the Direct Tax Act of June 1862, and we move past the Captured and Abandoned Property Act of March the 3rd in 1863. We move, we've already gotten past the Emancipation Proclamation. We now have a situation where there is land available, but not everyone is aware of it where freedom is now available, and not everyone is aware of it. I know some of y'all say you're talking about right now, right? <laughs> yeah, it seems like it. But here it is, that you have people unaware that they've been emancipated. They are no longer chattel, that they are freedmen, that they have a right now to go forth and own property. And those who are aware, because they had been treated as chattel, never had cash, to be able to now do transactions in a different world, in a different mechanism of thought, in a different system of operation, where cash is what runs that. So they have to amass this cash before going to next auctions and trying to obtain land. Well, in every, every aspect of our story, we've always had leaders. And so critical things at one point in time were to have spiritual leaders. And many of you who listen throughout the Kwanzaa broadcast, and it's still available in the archives for every day, but the NIA broadcast purpose that we just did going out of last year was one that I sat with various chiefs and a priest and elders to discuss protocols and to discuss the value of spiritual covering over a nation of people and over your peoples. And that spreads to spiritual covering over property, land, okay, and into land. So here it is that during the 1800s, of course, we had a great deal of patrilineal governance. And many people would say the world largely still has that to contend with, and this is an issue we deal with with human rights still to this day, gender equality around the world. So we had also then, though, that people believed in their religious leaders. And so in 1800s, here within the Gullah Geechee Nation, those religious leaders were largely Christian church leaders because they had a covering under which to operate 
because the people enslaving them felt that they had assimilated into their form of Christianity, which wasn't necessarily the case. However, they used their office at that time for civil rights, for the real rights of the people. And so when people looked to leadership, they looked to that leadership to go forth and get for the people what the people wanted, not go forth and just get for themselves or after I get for me, I'll think but the people, all right? They expected the leaders to be led of God and to follow what was best for the people. And so at that time frame, we had at the, what do I say, closing, these the sort of closing doors on the Civil War in 1865, but in January as well, on January the 12th, during the evening at 8 p.m. in Savannah, Georgia, here in the Gullah Geechee Nation, part of the Coastal Empire, that was a Thursday evening. There were several preachers that met with Secretary of War and Major General William Tecumseh Sherman to have a conference on the matters that related to the freedmen of the state of Georgia at that time. And they met with Edward M. Stanton, all right, as well. Now, the men that were present was William J. Campbell. He was born in Savannah. He had been enslaved. And then he was manumissed. John Cox, who was also born in Savannah, he had been enslaved and he bought his freedom for $1,100. That was a considerable amount of money back then. Ulysses L. Houston, or Houston, he was born in Grahamsville, South Carolina. He had been enslaved until the Union Army entered Savannah. William Bentley, who was born in Savannah, and he had been enslaved until he was emancipated through his enslaver's will back to property. The will, in the will, he was to be set free. Okay? We had Charles Bradwell. He was born in Liberty County, Georgia, the place where more per capita land ownership of any black people in America is located. He was enslaved, but he too had gotten emancipation because his enslaver died and left in his will that he was to be freed. William Gans, who was born in Willis County, Georgia, he was enslaved until the Union forces released him from bondage. So again, these areas where the Union came in, immediate emancipation, all right? James Hill, he was born in Bryan County, Georgia, he had been enslaved again till the Union came in, and he got set free. Glasgow Taylor, he was born in Wilkes County, Georgia. He had been enslaved until the Union came in. Garrison Frazier, he was born in Granville County, North Carolina. He had been enslaved as a child, and then he bought himself and his wife, all right, he had been enslaved up until an adult from a child, and he paid $1,000 in gold and silver to get him and his wife out of bondage. James Mills was born in Savannah, and he was born free there, all right? And he was a licensed preacher, and several of these men were, all of these men were ministers. Abraham Burke was born in Bryan County, Georgia. 
he had been enslaved, and he bought himself out of enslavement for $800, all right? Arthur Wardell. Many of y'all will say, oh, the sign, Wardell Rule, Jane Buford, and things like that. All right, Arthur Wardell. He was born also in Liberty County, Georgia, and he had been enslaved until the Union Army showed up. Alexander Harris was born in Savannah. He had been born free. Andrew Neal was born in Savannah. He got released from bondage by the Union Army and liberated. Jazz Reporter, he was born in Charleston, South Kakalaki. He was born free. His mother had purchased her freedom. And so, again, with chattel enslavement, the status of the mother is the status of the child. That is no different than today. If the mother's in bondage, the children are going to be in bondage. If the mother is impoverished, generally the children are going to be impoverished. If the mother tends to be educated or seeks education, then the children would be. So what the mother's status in life tends to have the most impact on the child. And so this still was the case when we refer to enslavement. Since the mother purchased her freedom, he was born free. Adolphus Delmont was born in Savannah. He was born free. Jacob Godfrey was born in Marion, South Carolina. He was enslaved until the Union Army liberated him. And I don't blame him. He came southward out of Marion, South Carolina, probably with the Union to arrive in Georgia. John Johnson, born in Bryan County, Georgia. He was enslaved up until the Union Army came there, and he then was able to get from there to Savannah. Robert Taylor, he was born in Wilkes County, Georgia. The Union liberated him as well. Jasper Lynch, he was born in Baltimore, Maryland, but he was free-born there. And Garrison Frazier, all right, was the first person out of these 20 men that set forth to express the sentiments of the freedmen, and the first thing that they were asked by Edward Stanton and William Tecumseh Sherman was state what your understanding is in regard to the acts of Congress and President Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation touching the condition of the colored people in the rebel states. The answer was so far as I can understand President Lincoln's proclamation to rebellious states it is that if they would lay down their arms and submit to the laws of the United States before the 1st of January, 1863, all should be well. But if they did not, then all the slaves in the rebel states should be free henceforth and forever. This is what I understood. He said, what you understand by slavery and the freedom that was given to by the President's proclamation. State that. State what you understand. So he did that. He says, slavery is receiving by irresistible power the work of another man and not by his consent. The freedom, as I understand it, promised by the proclamation, is taking us from under the yoke of bondage and placing us where we could reap the fruit of our own labor, take care of ourselves, and assist the government in maintaining our freedom. Third, they ask some state in what manner you think you can take care of yourselves and how can you best assist the government in maintaining your freedom. He answered, the way we can best take care of ourselves is to have land and turn it 
and till it by our own labor, that is, by the labor of the women and children and old men, and we can soon maintain ourselves and have something to square. And to assist the government, the young man could enlist and so on and so on. He goes on. The rebels told us that they pile them up, make batteries of them, sold them to Cuba, but we don't believe that. We want to be placed on land until we are able to buy it and make it our own. All right? So, again, the way we can best take care of ourselves is to have land and turn it and till it by our own labor. That is by the labor of the women and children and old men. And we can soon maintain ourselves and have something to square. We want to be placed on land until, now this is 20 Gullah Geechee men. You've heard the places in which they were born. You've heard the conditions that they were in in regard to having gone from chattel to freedmen. This took place January the 12th, 1865 at 8 p.m. in Savannah, Georgia. A few days later, in the field, William Tecumseh Sherman issued special field order number 15 from Savannah. On January the 16th, 1865, he issued this stating, number one, the islands from Charleston South, that is Charleston, South Carolina, y'all, Charleston, South Kakalaki, not Charleston, West Virginia, from Charleston South, the abandoned rice fields along the rivers for 30 miles back from the sea, and the country bordering the St. John's River, Florida, are reserved and set apart for the settlement of the Negroes, now made free by the acts of war and the proclamation of the United States. Number two, at Buford, Hilton Head, Savannah, Ferndina, St. Augustine, and Jacksonville. Now let me help you. Buford, Hilton Head, same county, Buford, South Carolina. Savannah, that is Georgia. Ferndina, St. Augustine, and Jacksonville are Florida, northeastern Florida. So at Buford, Hilton Head, Savannah, Ferndina, St. Augustine, and Jacksonville, the blacks may remain in their chosen and accustomed vocations, but on the island was a city. Buford is a township. Hilton Head is a township. Savannah is a city. Ferndina is a township. St. Augustine is a township. Jacksonville is a city. So, and the blacks may remain in their chosen or accustomed vocations, their work. But on the island, now they're referring to the Sea Islands, and in the settlements hereafter to be established, no white person whatever. The blacks may remain in their chosen or accustomed vocations, but on the islands and in the settlements hereafter to be established, no white person whatever. No white person whatever unless military officers and soldiers detailed for duty will be permitted to reside, live. No white person was to live on the islands from Charleston to St. John's River, Florida. And the sole and exclusive management of affairs will be left to the freed people themselves. As already established, the freed people were the people of African descent who had previously been in bondage, freedmen. The freed people themselves were had to have exclusive management of their affairs. 
subject only to the United States military authority and the acts of Congress. Now, we have the Gullah Geechee Cultural Heritage Act. That was an act of Congress. That was not an executive order. I've heard someone try to tell me in my face what it was when I'm the one who fought for it. It was an act of Congress, and he had no idea what he was saying until I educated him that that was not an executive order done by some random president. It was an act of Congress. It is an act of Congress. So now, the free people were to manage their own affairs exclusively, subject only to military authority acts of Congress. By the laws of war and orders of the President of the United States, the Negro is free and must be dealt with as such. The Negro is free and must be dealt with as such. He cannot be subjected to conscription or forced military service, save by written orders of the highest military authority of the department under such regulations as the President or Congress may prescribe. In other words, y'all can't be around here forcing these men to serve in no military as y'all have been doing all up and through the war. We all just been coming at gunpoint forcing people in. You cannot do that anymore. Domestic servants, blacksmiths, carpenters, and other mechanics will be free to select their own work and residence. Hold it. Domestic servants, blacksmiths, carpenters and other mechanics. That tells you that people of African descent, the Negro, 1865, already had these skills. These were already the vocations that our people were in as domestic servants, as blacksmiths, as carpenters, and other mechanics. They could fix other things. They could build their own places. They could smelt their own metal. They could clean and maintain their own houses will be free to select their own work and residence. But the young and able-bodied Negroes must be encouraged, encouraged to enlist as soldiers in service of the United States to contribute their share toward maintaining their own freedom and securing their rights as citizens of the United States. Well, some of us took that too far. We're still encouraging our kids to go in there thinking that. Okay? So now they're talking about to maintain their own freedom, but your freedom, not what somebody else tells you what freedom is. So at this time, the war, the Civil War, was still going on, and there was still the threat of the enslavers coming back to re-enslave. That's what this is in reference to. This is not about trying to get in some place to get a check right quick and talk about seeing the world while putting your life at risk. Okay, so now, Negroes so enlisted will be organized into companies, battalions, and regiments under the orders of the United States military authorities and will be paid, fed, and clothed according to law. The bounties paid on enlistment may, with the consent of the recruit, go to assist his family in settlement and procuring agricultural implements, seed, tools, boots, clothing, and other articles necessary for their livelihood. So in other words, you come in, you let the young man come in, we'll pay him. That money can also go to help the family get established. Not that your family already got a place to live and you send your child off to die. Now, number three, whenever three respectable Negroes, heads of family, shall desire to settle on land and shall have selected for that purpose an island or a locality cleared, clearly defined, 
within the limits above designated, the inspector of settlements and plantations will himself or by such subordinate officers he may appoint give them a license to settle such island or district and afford them such assistance as he can to enable them to establish a peaceable agricultural settlement. The three parties' names will subdivide the land under the supervision of the inspector among themselves and such others as may choose to settle near them so that each family shall have a plot of not more than 40 acres of tillable ground, and when it borders on some water channel with not more than 800 feet waterfront in the possession of which land the military authorities will afford them protection until such time as they can protect themselves or until the United States, until Congress shall regulate their title. So in other words, when they would get them the deed, that was fully cleared that this was their land. The quartermaster may, on the requisition of the inspector of settlements and plantations, place at the disposal of the inspector one or more of the captured steamers supplied between settlements and one or more of the commercial points heretofore named in order to afford the settlers the opportunity to supply their necessary wants and to sell the products of their land and labor. So in other words, these people are tilling the land with their own hands. They are being productive. They have something that could be sold. This land needs to be protected because people are attacking you from water, but you could also come to the waterways and then be able to sell your produce, your products that you create from the land, so that you can continue to sustain yourself. And at some point, protect your own land, all right? Whenever a Negro, number four, whenever a Negro has enlisted in the military service of the United States, he may locate his family in any one of the settlements at pleasure and acquire a homestead and all of the rights and privileges of a settler as though present in person. In like manner, Negroes may settle their families and engage on board the gunboats or in fishing or in the navigation of the inland waters without losing any claim to land or other advantages derived from this system. But no one, unless an actual settler as above defined or unless absent on government service, will be entitled to claim any right to land or property in any settlement by virtue of these orders. Now, we know that was breached. We know that much of this order was breached because you had people in this area that came down as part of the Gideonite Band that came in as sort of, some might call them interlopers, that came into the area that wanted to get in on the spoils of war before the war ended, that set themselves up on property and set up stores and then got involved in this selling of land. And at these auctions, some of this land got auctioned to military personnel. Military personnel was only supposed to be there while they were in military duty. In other words, at a federal encampment. They were not supposed to then buy any land or hold on to any land and then be able to turn that over and sell it to some northerners and things like that, but we know that did happen. Now, number five, in order to carry out this system of settlement, a general officer will be detailed as inspector of settlements and plantations whose duty it shall be to visit the settlements to regulate their police and general arrangement and who will furnish personally to each head of family subject to the approval of the President of the United States a possessory title in writing giving as near as possible the description of boundaries and who shall adjust all claims of conflicts that may arise under the same, subject to the like approval, treating such titles altogether as possessory. The same general officer will also be charged with the enlistment and organization of the Negro recruits and protecting their interests and 
their interest while absent from their settlement, then in other words, if they're out on those boats and so on, all right, and or in the military, and will be governed by the rules and regulations prescribed by the War Department for such purposes. So in other words, you could go fishing or you can go in the military, your land will still be your land when you get back. They're going to make sure squatters ain't just up on your land, chilling, building, killing, and carrying on. All right, number six, Brigadier General. R. Saxon, which is Rufus Saxon, is hereby appointed inspector of settlements and plantations and will at once enter on the performance of his duties. No change is intended or desired in the settlement now on Beaufort Island, nor will any rights to property heretofore acquired be affected thereby. Take it he means the island of Port Royal where the township of Beaufort and the town of Port Royal were by referring to Beaufort Island. That had become a union encampment almost in totality. Many of the plantations there became military areas. So Paris Island in Port Royal, there's still the naval base that stands there. They had occupied many of the places on East Bay Street, the fancy homes when you visit the town of Beaufort right now. Many of those were headquarters for the Union, and so hence they weren't going to change things there. But out on St. Helena and Ladies Island and out this way, people did go ahead and claim their land and have their deeds, and that's why when I speak to you about seeing deeds, I have the deeds for my family and the property that they continued to hold on to because they, too, were in agreement with these 20 preachers. They 20 table tap and things like that. They who have did it in Savannah. Then a few days before time in Savannah, who have been a cracky teeth petition. And so when they definitely let them know that the best way we can take care of ourselves is to have land, that is still true. And so it is critical over these next few days for Gullah Geechis to be able to protect their land by paying their land taxes so the land is not confiscated. Confiscation still goes on, and it's called sheriff sale, tax sale. The county still will confiscate your land and sell it for the value of the taxes where that land itself is worth a hundred times sometimes more than what the taxes were that had to be paid on them. It's 10, 100 times more, and people will buy a $100,000 piece of property at an auction for maybe $3,000 or less. And so you have to keep in mind that things change and things still remain the same. There's not a whole lot that has been different in regard to these issues of property and people treating even Gullah Geechis for a long time and even now with the attempt commodification of our culture like we are chattel, we property. And so when the family get together and say, this other, we property, well, we need to pay the taxes and we need to stand up and know our story and know that we have a right that people fought for long before the day that any of them would ever know of our existence. When we are talking about people who went through bondage, being considered chattel themselves, having the mother with to go to a meeting and stand up to the government and answer their questions directly. And these men answered pointedly, made it very clear what it is that they needed and that they needed land and that land was going to be the best way 
for us to take care of ourselves. So unto this day, this is still what I do as leader and head of state for the Gullah Geechee Nation, but more so than that through the Gullah Geechee Sea Island Coalition. And I pray that there are many of you who are listening to this broadcast that this year will go ahead and become dues-paying members of the Gullah Geechee Sea Island Coalition. You can easily do that now from anywhere around the world by going to gullahgeechee.biz. That's G U. L L A H G E E C H E E dot B I Z. And so if you go to gullahgeechee.biz, not only can you order books and products, and definitely want to thank the folks who've done that already this year, who've had a quilt order just go out today and various books and CDs and DVDs that are signed and autographed and sent out today, but also that you would go there and become a member of the Gullah Geechee Sea Island Coalition. If you haven't seen the work that we do and you want to kind of get a snapshot of what the organization does and represents, go to gullahgeechee.net, G-U-L-L-A-H-G-E-E-C-H-E-E dot N-E-T. All right, so all you have to do is change the extensions there, B-I-Z or N-E-T. And you can find out more about the Gullah Geechee Sea Island Coalition that sponsors this broadcast every week. But that is the leader. We have led this fight for Gullah Geechee land rights and human rights for over 17 years. And I have done this work now, as I mentioned earlier, for over 32 years at this point. And so 33 years at this point. And so it is something that's near and dear to my heart, and that is why beginning this year when the Spirit was laid upon me to say go forth and do something more this year, let's not just talk about civil rights, let's get people to truly under and overstanding the land rights and the property rights issues that the Gullah Geechee Nation faces. And this year the Gullah Geechee Sea Island Coalition is once again pushing, planning, putting it together for me to be out on my annual world tour, and this year the theme is Gullah Geechee Land and Legacy. So these broadcasts that will be in this series, this will be a three-part series this month, are special to me for that reason as well. And if you're interested in learning more about how to sponsor a stop on the Gullah Geechee Land and Legacy Tour with myself and the Gullah Connection, you can go to queenquet.com, www.queenquet.com, and look at information there and click booking and send in emails. And then you can also go to www.gullahgeechination.com at any time to learn more about the Gullah Geechee Nation. But there's also, if you type in Queen Quet on a search on there, you'll see one of the blogs and information about the Gullah Geechee Land and Legacy Tour that we are about to embark on as of February 1st. And so next Monday, God spare, I will be right back here, and we will continue our journey into who we be and things like that. Beretta was, but Golagiti land and legacy and the rights along this journey. And so I'm so pleased for all of you who've been listening to the show that have us getting closer. We're inching our way. We're inching our way at 90,000 listens, and so we definitely going to have a big old shout because I'd appreciate God have a hundred children. We have a hundred of you to keep warm and things like that. But while a hundred inside, please get some of the archives and so that this way we can get to that number and celebrate it during black history of this year. But in the meantime, I'm so glad that hundred children taught of not robbery, but join we and join me and this year the queen quit. Head upon the body, 
of the Gullah Geechee Nation. So glad that Hunter Chillin tune in to Gullah Geechee Rhythm Radio Station. At any time, email us to G-U-L-L-G-E-E-C-O at A-O-L dot com and let we know what's going on with Hunter B. But please make sure to continue this journey with we and protect Gullah Geechee land and legacy. Look forward to you becoming a member of the Gullah Geechee Sea Island Coalition and supporting me on this world tour. Let's share this show with all so that we can keep we. That what we did y'all for. Peace, blessings. Keep on staying. Keep fighting. Work together, chilling. Don't you get weary. Great Camp Me. Punisha. Promised Land. Sea Island. Sand.